Hello and welcome to Gimme Good News Radio, a broadcast service of GimmeGoodNewsDaily.com. Good news today comes from Washington, D.C. The D.C. line writes, new legislation mandates access to free period products for D.C. students. When Juliana Lopez enters the bathroom at her high school in need of a pad, the 17-year-old junior at Columbia Heights Educational Campus is often left empty-handed. Lopez recounted urgently needed to visit the school nurse for a pad when she was in ninth grade because the dispenser was empty. It took quite some time to reach her because she wasn't in her office and I really needed one, Lopez said. Lopez's experience is not unique. Liv Bernstead, a 16-year-old high school junior at Capital City Public Charter, said she also often finds nothing in her school's dispensers. New legislation strives to overcome issues like empty dispensers for students and provide free period products in school bathrooms. On January 24, Mayor Muriel Bowser signed the Expanding Student Access to Period Products Emergency Act of 2022, which took effect immediately. As emergency legislation, it will last for 90 days, while the corresponding permanent legislation, which the mayor also signed January 24, undergoes a required congressional review period. According to the D.C. Council, it's expected to be codified March 19. If all goes well, students should be able to see these products in schools by the start of the 2022-23 school year, according to Amanda Farnan, Communications Director for At-Large Council Member Christina Henderson's office. Henderson was one of the legislation's co-introducers, a group that included the council's other female members, Ward 2's Brooke Pinto, Ward 1's Brianne Nadu, Ward 3's Mary Che, Ward Forge, Janice Lewis-George, and at-large council members Anita Bonds and Elisa Silverman, as well as Ward 7's Vincent Gray. Pinto, who introduced the bill, stated in an email that although period products are a necessity and providing them for free shouldn't be a revolutionary idea, the stigma surrounding menstruation has made meaningful policy change challenging. We often think of period poverty as something that only occurs in developing countries, but the reality is that women, transgender men, and non-binary people are struggling to afford period products in our own country and indeed in Washington, D.C., Pinto wrote. D.C.'s fiscal year 2022 budget provides $1.64 million in funding for implementation of the legislation, according to the fiscal impact statement included in the D.C. Council Committee report on the bill. The fiscal year 2022 allocation for D.C. public schools includes $384,000 to purchase and install dispensers and $425,000 to purchase period products. Funds are also available to cover costs for implementation at D.C.'s public charter schools. The Office of the State Superintendent of Education, OSSE, will have primary responsibility for implementing this law, including developing a strategy and timeline for how D.C. schools will receive these products, Farnan said. OSSE will provide guidance to schools on their obligations under the law, Press Secretary Fred Lewis wrote in an email. Lewis said OSSE will be required to revise health standards on menstrual education, create signage to be placed next to the dispensers, and create web resources including information about health standards, requirements for schools, downloadable signs, and examples of standards-aligned curriculum. He noted, however, that OSSE does not have an enforcement role for the placement, stocking, or installation of free period products within schools. 
That responsibility will be up to the individual schools, according to the D.C. Council Committee report on the bill. The legislation requires all local education agencies and private schools, as well as colleges, universities, and vocational schools operating in the district to install at least one period products dispenser at each women's and gender-neutral bathrooms on campus. Elementary schools will be required to have dispensers in one women's and one gender-neutral bathroom. LEAs and private schools are also required to have every dispenser stocked with free period products to serve students' needs throughout the academic year and any period of summer programming offered on its campus, according to the legislation. Farnan said implementation, while exciting, is likely to encounter most of its hurdles at the beginning of the process. She said the biggest challenge she foresees is managing the equitable distribution of the period products across all the DC wards. Additionally, some challenges will differ depending on the school, Farnan added. Some schools may already have dispensers or infrastructure for period products in place, while others may not. If some schools are at complete zero, they don't have that infrastructure or even that space, then we'll have to work with the OSSE and school administrators to make sure that they have the resources that they need to get that up and running first, Farnan said. Bernstad, a student representative on the D.C. State Board of Education, said her school does have a dispenser in one of the school bathrooms, but that it is not often supplied with period products. My school's dispenser has quite literally never been stocked. In the eight years that I've been there, I have not been able to receive anything from it, she said. This is an issue for most schools in the district, Bernstead noted, and even the dispensers that are stocked have products of really low quality that don't work for a lot of situations. Lopez, another student representative of the SBOE, said she also experiences dispensers in her school too often being empty. I think when it comes to implementation, it has to be somewhere where it's easy to access so that you don't have to make an extremely long trip just to get what you need, Lopez said. Bernstead said she thinks the implementation of this law will force schools to pay attention to the challenges students face on a daily basis when trying to access period products. She said she also thinks the gender-neutral language of this legislation will open up a worthwhile conversation about a gender-neutral bathroom in schools. Lopez said a lot of students are scared and stressed about getting their periods at school and the implementation of this law will help diminish that stress. For me, it kind of represents some kind of belonging and welcoming because you don't have to feel ashamed for something that is completely normal, she said. Bernstead said she's excited to see these products coming to her school soon, but she has concerns about the rollout. She anticipates it will be hard to monitor whether schools are actually implementing the law. Lopez said she thinks OSSE and SBOE should have weekly or monthly check-ins with school administrators to review what products are being used and to ensure that dispensers are stocked. Lopez also called for established, ongoing communication with students. According to Farnan, any council member can hold OSSE accountable by pushing for updates on its strategies and plans, concrete data, and specific steps to make a timeline work. Legislators can also schedule a meeting with the OSSE staff, send a form letter with a due date for a response, or request a formal oversight hearing by the council, she added. SBOE President Jessica Sutter, who represents Ward 6 on the board, said she hopes to include communication about this legislation as part of her monthly meetings with the State Superintendent of Education, Christina Grant. 
Alistair Chang, Ward 2 SBOE representative, said the board's role in implementing this law is to be supportive, inform OSSE about what members are hearing from their constituents, and advise accordingly. The law has been a long time coming, Farnan noted, and she's excited to support the rollout process to help make students' lives a little bit easier. I love it. I wish this was implemented when I was in middle school and high school, Farnan said, and I hope that it's embraced in the same excitement and the reality of the improvements that are possible by every single school community, and I think it will be. From Petworth News, building up your community by throwing a block party. As the pandemic droned on and as people became more comfortable socializing outside, Travis and Julie Gallo noticed that they were getting to know their neighbors while people were out walking their kids, relaxing on their front porch, or passing by on the street. The pandemic had brought the 400 block of Jefferson Street Northwest together, and the Gallos wanted to do something to encourage a small-scale community building. In 2019, Travis and Julie relocated to D.C. from Chicago, where block parties are super popular. The city would encourage residents to organize them, and in exchange, the street would get blocked off, and they would give you a bounce house for the party. The Gallows used their past block party experience in Chicago and decided to bring it to their new home in D.C. It was a big hit. Travis and Julie Gallo galvanized their neighbors on the 400 block of Jefferson Street Northwest to make it happen. All the neighbors contributed in various ways. Someone had a PA so there could be music throughout the party. Another neighbor had connections with the fire and EMS to get a visit from a fire truck. Another contributed a grill, another a projector and screen to show a movie in the evening. Other neighbors contributed monetarily for food, a bounce house, a face painter, and to have a neighborhood ice cream man, Charles Foreman from Everyday Sunday, provide scoops. The day of the block party was an awesome day of community building. Neighbors gathered around the grills as they were waiting for their food to be cooked. Kids sat and played together at the bounce house, did arts and crafts, and ate popcorn during the movie in the evening. Neighbors were able to have meaningful conversations with each other's families over a period of hours rather than a quick chat while heading in and out. Everyone loved it so much that the 400 block plans on doing it again this fall, and the next block over plans on doing their own in the spring. From Petworth News, D.C.'s free tool library reopens in Petworth. D.C.'s Department of Parks and Recreation's Garden Tool Share Program has reopened as of March 1st. Just like a book library, the Garden Tool Library allows you to check out tools to help you around the house. But don't be fooled by the name. The program has way more than garden tools available. Run by the volunteer group Green Neighbors DC, the library has more than 270 different tools available for residents to use. You can check out miter saws, power drills, paper shredders, and more. Garden tools include rakes, weed whackers, hedge trimmers, shovels, bee equipment, solar ovens, shop vacuums, and others. They also have items to give away, including bat houses and junior master gardener books for the kids. The program is hosting an open house on March 19th from 10.30 to 3. The tool library is inside the Twin Oaks Community Gardens building at 1380 Taylor Street. The program is run completely by volunteers, so an appointment is needed to check anything out. From the hilltop, Howard University students gathered on February 17 in a College Hall South multi-purpose room for a volunteer service event hosted by COAS HUSSA Senator Jada Peets. 
The event partnered with COAS Council, COFA Council, and SOC Council. Students packed 1,000 lunch bags for community-led organization Martha's Table to help combat food insecurity within Washington, D.C. Pete, a junior political science and Spanish major and Russian minor, organized the event through her past truth and service legislation as COAS host the senator. This legislation dedicated funding to community service events such as this one. This volunteer event was extremely important to have here because food insecurity in D.C. is absolutely insane. Of course, it's just a sad case that we have all over the world and especially in our country when it doesn't need to be an issue. But specifically here in D.C., food insecurity is something that we're faced with every single day, Pete said. Food insecurity has been a prevalent issue in the D.C. region with more than 400,000 people being food insecure. Those numbers have spiked since the COVID pandemic surged through the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, adding nearly 250,000 people to those who are already food insecure. Depending on where you go to class, we see homeless people on our campus camped out in Banneker Recreation Center every single day. In the winter, freezing their butts off. In the summer, just hot with no food or asking. So I think that's really important to give back to a university and to a city that gives so much to us already as far as some housing and an education. We need to make sure that we're taking a break from our studies and making that time to give back to our community, give back to our environment. Pete's proceeded. Many Howard University students were very happy to volunteer, including Amaria Simmons, freshman political science major. Simmons saw the promotion of this event on an Instagram page and made it a priority to attend. I saw it was an opportunity to give back to the community, and I really love volunteering. I just thought it would be refreshing to see a bunch of Howard students just come together and work toward a common goal, Simmons says, when explaining why she decided to volunteer. Pete's made sure that this event was a way to bring the student body together to help the community. Volunteering is something that everyone can do. Everyone can come out and volunteer. It wasn't specific to gender or sexual orientation or preference or class or school. It was everybody that is a Howard University student can come out and volunteer, Pete said. Martha's Table is a community-led nonprofit organization dedicated to helping the Washington, D.C. community. Their mission is to support children, family, and communities through their programs dedicated to education, family resources, engagement, health, and wellness. Pete regularly volunteers at the Martha's Table in her area and holds the organization to a high esteem. You know, the organization specifically has a really great cause. They don't turn anybody away. You don't need to present your tax forms or your form of income, which can really deter a lot of specifically lower income immigrants away. They take in everybody. And so I wanted to give more back to the organization, not just as one volunteer, but using my position on campus to bring in a mass amount of product and donation and help the people of our campus, help the people of D.C., Pete said. Students left the volunteer event inspired and glad they were able to make a difference within the D.C. community, all while being able to come together to work toward a common goal. Just seeing the numbers, how many people showed up and seeing what we accomplished was a lot of food that we packed. After you help give back to the community, it makes you feel good about yourself, Simmons says. This volunteer event was only one of many, as Pete's plans on doing many more, such as clothing drives, including a community service event exactly like this one in mid-April. Also from the Hilltop, 
Howard freshman Jasmine Marsh was awarded the Certificate of Outstanding Artistic Achievement at the first Blackburn Student Art Showcase, hosted by the Chadwick Bozeman College of Fine Arts Council in collaboration with Howard University Student Association. The showcase displayed pieces from Marsh's Sankofa series inspired by elements of black culture, struggle, and resilience. The showcase was centered around the themes of resurgence, revival, and rebirth. The goal was to provide a creative outlet for students on campus who wanted their artistic voices to be heard, celebrated, and displayed. We hope that through this display of talent, Howard University will see the dedication, perseverance, and excellence Jasmine and her peers display daily in the newly reborn College of Fine Arts, the Fine Arts Council told the audience at the showcase. 18-year-old Marsh rose to the occasion with the unveiling of her winning piece in addition to displaying six other acrylic paint, ink, and watercolor paintings in the Blackburn lobby. The featured piece, according to Marsh's description on Instagram, symbolizes the image of African American in media and certain roles. Instead of focusing on the negative image of the stereotypical side, I decided to show an African American director film an African American family, somewhat like The Cosby Show. The image in the center of the old camera plays irony to Norman Rockwell's freedom from want. Marsh drew inspiration from common occurrences with black life and history while focusing on the beauty of black art of various media in her painting Girl with the Watermelon. She displayed racist subtleties through the stereotypical depiction of a black child eating a watermelon slice, a noose disguised as a jump rope, and the ice cream truck which often plays a historically outwardly racist jingle. Marsh also depicted micro and macro aggressions as well as examples of violence and harm inflicted upon black people. Her work referenced victims like Travon Martin and Eric Garner, while also addressing the smaller puzzle pieces of a violently anti-black society such as beauty standards. Marsh's appreciation for black culture manifested itself in all of the work that she displayed at the showcase, from depicting musical impact to those of black literary legends. Her painting architecture features buildings built by slaves as well as those designed by black architects. This piece in particular, according to Marsh, was inspired by her best friend who brought her attention to the approximately 0.3% of architects that are African-American women. Marsh's featured piece can be viewed live in a glass casing in Blackburn and her other pieces can be seen via her Instagram. Kaylin Coleman, the Fine Arts Council secretary, confirmed the Blackburn Student Art Showcase will be a recurring event held monthly in the Blackburn lobby and open to entries from all students. From the Metro Weekly, it's Hot Picks, Orchids, Hidden Stories of Groundbreaking Women. The more than a dozen women who have played an important, if unheralded, role in enriching our understanding of and appreciation for orchids are the focus of this year's annual orchid show jointly organized by the U.S. Botanical Garden and Smithsonian Gardens. The show highlights these unsung horticultural heroines alongside stunning displays of several hundred varieties of blooming orchids drawn from the vast living collections of both institutions. As the exhibition makes plain, women have discovered and described new orchid species, developed new orchid hybrids, protected orchid habitats, and created breathtaking artworks inspired by orchids. The 17th century Chinese courtesan Gu Mei 
who defied traditional gender barriers to become a respected painter, famously including her depictions of orchids, is one historical precedent referenced in the exhibition. Other women singled out for advancing the field of orchidology included the pollination pioneer Edith Coleman, an Australian naturalist who discovered that certain orchid species mimic the shape of female wasps to entice male pollinators. American biologist Rebecca Teeth Northern dubbed the Julia Child of orchids as a result of her 1950 reference book, Home Orchid Growing, which helped demystify the subject for the average person. Artist and naturalist Mary Vaux Walcott, known for her beautiful and scientifically accurate paintings of flowers that has influenced her field of botany in ways that has garnered comparisons to John James Audubon, the famous ornithologist who documented the birds of North America. Naturally, modern artist Georgia O'Keeffe is also highlighted for her seminal paintings of flowers, but even more for her influence on the feminist artists who have adopted the orchid as a symbol of female empowerment and sexuality. Another name that should be added to the list, Marjorie Merriweather Post. In fact, a bequest from Post in 1974 is what initiated creation of the Smithsonian Gardens Orchids Collection, now one of the world's largest, containing more than 8,000 hybrids and species. While the exhibition text and features can be viewed online with images and supplemental instructional videos, the virtual offering doesn't capture the full impact of seeing the vast array of flowers on display in the Cocog Courtyard between the Smithsonian American Art Museum and the Natural Portrait Gallery at 8th and F Streets. On view through April 24th, you can call 202-633-2220 or visit www.gardens.si.edu. From Afro.com, women who are winning and speaking at the Afro's Black Business Matters Expo. This year, the Afro-American Newspapers is highlighting women who win at its Black Business Matters Expo, which takes place on March 24th. During the celebration, numerous exemplary black business women will have the chance to talk about their professional journey, offer advice, share resources, and present courses of action to overcome workplace and entrepreneurial challenges. Two of the speakers include CEO of Lobos 1707 Tequila and Mezcal, Dia Sims and co-founder and visionary of the Black Queen Project, Ali Walker. A graduate of Morgan State University, Sims began her career negotiating defense contracts for the U.S. Department of Defense. She was often the youngest and sole woman and person of color in the room. Today, at age 46, not much has changed, but diversity and inclusion have always been top priority for Sims. After stints in sales, radio, and marketing, Sims became executive assistant to rapper and hip-hop mogul Sean Combs in 2005. This position would put her on a path to become a standout in the spirits industry. A couple of years later, Sims became a general manager for Blue Flame Agency, a marketing and advertising firm founded by Combs. There, she spearheaded a partnership with Diageo, one of the world's largest producers of spirits and beers, to reinvigorate vodka brand Ciroc Ultra Premium. Before becoming CEO of Lobos 1707, Sims was selected in 2017 as the first president of Combs Enterprises in the company's 23-year history. Sims leads Lobos 1707, an independent spirits brand that was launched in 2020 alongside founder and CCO Diego Osorio. 
Los Angeles Lakers player LeBron James and actor Arnold Schwarzenegger are notable investors in the brand. To go from talking about it to now being in 31 states, tripling our forecast, and to being 50% women and 60% ethnically diverse, and I often say that our success is because of that, not in spite of that, is something that I am super proud of, said Sims. A native of Maryland and biracial entrepreneur Walker struggled to identify with her race as a young girl. She never felt that she was a black enough or white enough. While attending Cuca College, Walker began to feel more comfortable in her skin. She served on the school's diversity task force, managed the multicultural office, and acted as president of a multicultural club on campus. When she co-founded the Black Queen Project in 2021, a collection of 10,000 handmade, diverse women of color non-fungible tokens, she sought to empower black women to break through the false expectations that society has created for them. Walker wanted the world to know that black women come in all different shapes, sizes, and shades. The Black Queen NFT set is based on Keisha, a woman representative of the black female community. It uses an algorithm developed by name press to create thousands of variations with different hair accessories lip textures and skin tones 10% of the black queen projects initial sales will be reinvested into black crypto art to support more black creators during her talk at the expo walker will introduce attendees to the world of nfts and give an overview of blockchain technology she'll also walk them through the process of purchasing an nft we want to create a generational wealth, and this space right now is allowing people to do that, said Walker. That's all the good news we have for today. Join us next time on Gimme Good News Radio, a broadcast service of GimmeGoodNewsDaily.com, bringing you good news from around the world.